0: Three chapter book in the Old Testament called Habakkuk. Habakkuk was one of the 12 minor prophets. So he was a man who was a prophet of God. And his name means to embrace or to wrestle. And that name is really fitting for what goes on with this book insofar as Habakkuk finds himself wrestling with some really tough questions and ultimately with God himself. Habakkuk was a man who was struggling with life. Uh, Life was not going the way that he anticipated. He was frustrated with it, and honestly, he was frustrated with God a bit because God wasn't doing what Habakkuk thought a good God should do. Now, have you ever been bothered by how God has chosen to run the affairs of your life? Ever been upset with God? Ever had the courage to tell God you're actually a little bit mad at him because you expected better than this? I mean, after all, wouldn't you think if you give your whole life, if I surrender, don't you think he should at least give you everything you want in life? Well, that's kind of what Habakkuk was feeling. God, this isn't what I signed up for, and he's struggling. Why, God, if you're able and you're as all-powerful as you say you are, why don't you do something about this situation? We saw last Sunday that in chapter 1, the prophet was left with his wonderings and his wrestlings. He was left without any good, clear answers to his questions. And honestly, isn't that the way some of us are? We have questions that remain unanswered to this day. Well, today as we come into chapter 2, the question we want to grapple it with is, what do you do? When you're in the gap, what do you do when you're in the gap? And you remember that last week I referenced the fact that back years ago, and I'm talking about probably 30 to 40 years ago, my father-in-law coined a phrase that I had never heard. I found out yesterday, uh, or actually I found out the day before, that that phrase actually he got from a magazine that he was reading on sociology, and it was the gap between life in the slums and life for urban, upper-class people in the United States of America. And this sociologist coined it as the frustration gap, and my father-in-law took it a whole different route in the kingdom, and I borrowed it from him, and I've taken it a whole different route. So it's gone around the circuit. But I want to talk to you about what do you do when you're in this place of frustration, which I am calling the gap. When things don't make sense to you. So, I have a new picture for you if you guys want to look at it. Uh, This is kind of the gap. Uh, Let me kind of explain it to you as best as I can briefly. Uh, Most of you will remember probably the time when you came. Let me just ask you, how many of you remember when you came to know the Lord for the very first time? When you met God. You encountered God, and your life was changed forever. We start out not knowing God, and so we're we're actually off the screen, if you would, on the left-hand side. We didn't know God at all, but then God invaded our lives. He invades our lives with grace, with kindness, with love. He saves us, and it's like... We're on a high like no other high. It seems like we're almost walking in a fairyland sometimes. I mean, the grass is greener, the sky is bluer, everything is just hunky-dory and peachy keen. everything is wonderful. Maybe it wasn't quite that way for you, it wasn't for me. I told you that the day I met God, I can remember it still, it was a Sunday night, and I met God. Uh, I can't tell you what was preached, I don't know, but I can remember going to the altar and weeping before God, and there is a young teenager, I met God, and I thought God would change my whole life and everything would go well from that point on. The very next day I woke up and our animals had gotten loose overnight. They had spread out over the whole neighborhood. Uh, And when I talk about neighborhood, we were miles from the nearest town, so neighborhood was all over the fields and the forests all around us. And I was looking for them, and I can remember, I prayed, God, give me wings to find these animals, catch them, and bring them back. And I honestly thought God would and should do that. He didn't. And I was, from a very young age, disillusioned with God because I had an illusion. My illusion was that God was to answer every prayer with everything that I wanted. So you start out not knowing God, you come to know God, and it's like a honeymoon stage in a way. It can feel sometimes like no matter what you pray for, God answers, he gives you everything that you want, we have a need, he meets it, it's exciting, and honestly, we think it's the way it ought to be. We got saved, I mean, if you're honest, many of us got saved because we realized we were in trouble. Maybe you even got saved because you were literally in trouble with the law. You had a problem, and you cried out to God, God, save me. And God comes and saves you, and you expect that he's going to deliver you from all of them. Well, if you walk with God any length of time at all, you come to the realization that after a while, some things don't go exactly the same way anymore. You pray, and it seems like you don't get the answer that you had hoped for. Uh, You know, it could be that job that you saw posted and you, you wanted that job. In fact, the truth is you needed that job and you prayed. You prayed fervently. You prayed honestly before God. God, this will help our finances as a family. And you said that if we would serve you, you would bless us. So I need this job. And you didn't get the job. And you end up down here in the bottom where it says uncertainty, confused, depressed. You're struggling. Things aren't going right. Uh, maybe for you it was, God, I gave you my heart, my life, I've done my best to serve you, but my kids are struggling. They're struggling physically, emotionally, mentally, relationally. Doesn't it seem like if you make the decision to follow Jesus, He should at least take care of your kids? But things aren't going the way you thought. And this gap that you see is all about wrestling with things not being the way We think they should be. Things, in fact, the gap kind of is pictured this way. This is what we think ought to be, and this is what is. It's the distance between what we thought, theory, and reality, where the rubber meets the road. That's the gap many of us are faced with on a regular basis. It's the difference between what ought to be in our mind and what it seems like it's becoming in reality. Now, when a person enters this gap, they have a couple of options. They can double down and work harder and figure this. Well, apparently I wasn't doing it right because if I did it right, God would do what I think is right. If I did better, God would be more pleased with me and he would do what I want him to do. And maybe you never put those thoughts into words, but that's how many of us approach it. Well, if something bad happens, now think think honestly. If something bad happens, is there anything in you that rises up and says it's my fault? If something bad happens, if I did better, God would do better. So we double down. We figure if we get the ingredients to our cake just right, then it will come out right. So we double down. We work harder. We perform better. Or the other option, which I've listed here, is we just quit. When you're in the bottom of the gap, that's that word at the very bottom which maybe most of you can't see, is we just quit. We just say, all right, fine. God, if you're not going to do what I desperately want and need, if you're not going to answer my prayers the way I think you ought to answer my prayers, then you're not the kind of God that I want to follow anymore. I got in this for you to help me. If you're not going to help me, I'm getting out of it. And you're like one of those seeds that Jesus says in Matthew 13 that are sowed on rocky soil. And it springs forth for a season, but pretty soon it dies out. You quit and you go home. I'm going to take my ball and go home. So here's the question. What are you to do when you're in the gap? Because if you walk with Jesus any length of time, Every single person I have ever met, known, or read about has ended up in this gap where you come to the realization that God is not your butler. He's not your sugar daddy. He doesn't do things the way you think he should. He does things the way he thinks he should, and it leaves you confused because this is not what I thought was our bargain. I thought, God, you and I had a contract. I serve you. You serve me. And then we get frustrated. We end up in the gap. So what do we do when we're in the gap? We're going to find it. It's in Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen in front of you. If you want to grab the Bible in the chairs in front of you, it's page 631. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. These are three things that I believe God says we can and really should do when we find ourselves in the gap. Habakkuk 2, 1. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it for the vision is yet for an appointed time but at the end it will speak and it will not lie though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come, it will not tarry. So what do you do when you're in the midst of the frustration gap? What do you do when you're struggling, when you know that God could do something and you even think he should do something, but he doesn't seem to be and life doesn't feel fair or reasonable? What should you do when you're crying out, God, where are you and why aren't you fixing this? So these are three things that I think you should do in the gap. The first one, uh, how many of you remember, by the way, when uh, you were in school and you had like a fire drill? They had like a phrase that they used to teach us when we were really little. What are you to do when there's a fire? I'm sorry, what was it? Stop, drop, and roll. roll. That's kind of what God tells Habakkuk he should do. The thing you should do is you should stop, watch, and listen. Look at verse 1. Stop, watch, and listen. And, And please remember, this is Habakkuk who is not just some Joe Blow off the street. This is a prophet of God. This is a man who knows God. And he comes to God with his complaint. And to our amazement, God actually seems to respectfully hear his complaint. He comes to God. In fact, how many of you guys here are married and have ever had a discussion with your spouse? You, you know what I mean by discussion, right? Yeah, It's, it's a discussion. But it's a discussion with some... Attitude attached. My wife and I, every once in a while, have struggles. I I confess it. She's not in the room today, so it's okay to say it. Because sometimes she's wrong. I can only say that because she's not here. It's always me. Always me. Um, We have discussions. And usually what will happen is this. We'll, We'll name the problem, and then I will give her my side of it. Do you guys do this, by the way, or is this just me? I will lay out my argument. Here is why I think you're wrong. You did this, you said that, this is what it has to be, and I lay it out in order. And then I pause, and I say, all right, now it's your turn. What do you got to say for yourself? That's kind of what Habakkuk does. Habakkuk lays out his complaint before God. He says, God, this isn't right. This is what I see. This is what you said would be. This is not proper. Therefore, that's my case. God, your turn. What do you have to say about it? And to our amazement, God actually hears it. And he responds. Habakkuk says, I will set myself. Look at that word, set myself. What it literally means is I'm going to station myself like a soldier who is on patrol. I'm going to keep my eyes focused. I'm going to watch. I'm going to stop what I'm doing, and I'm going to watch to see what what you will say. That's what he says. I will set myself, I'll station myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me. I'm just going to stay right here until I hear what you have to say for yourself. I'm going to watch to see. Too often, if we're honest, when we're struggling in the frustration gap, we moan and groan about it. We complain. And who do we usually complain to? Anybody who will listen to us. Facebook. You know, I mean, people say things on Facebook they would never say to somebody's face, but because it's somewhat anonymous, it's like a step away from reality, I can put it out there and I want to say, you do realize this is not your private diary that no one will read. And when you do post something and people respond to it, why do you get mad that they respond? We moan and we groan and we talk to people who, by the way, Can't do anything about it anyways. They're not big enough and they're not strong enough to change the world. Not even your little world. Here's the beautiful thing about all of this. We discover in the book of Habakkuk that God is a God who loves relationship. He loves to talk. He loves to talk to his people. He loves to have dialogue with them. It's about more than just communication. My wife said to me just very recently, she said, yes, you communicated, but you didn't connect. There's a big difference between communication and connection. God wants communication, but he also wants connection with us. And he's willing for us to come to him with our frustrations, with our concerns, with our fears, with our anxieties, and he's willing to hear it all. And the choice we have is once we've said our part, are we willing to stop, to watch, and to listen? So God loves to speak to us. But how will he speak to us? Sometimes God will actually speak audibly to people. If I asked in this congregation, how many of you have ever heard God speak audibly, there might be a hand or two. But by audibly, I mean audibly. I don't mean it was so loud in my head that it felt audible. I'm saying, how many have actually heard God speak an audible word that set a course for your life? God can do that. He can speak out of nothingness into our lives audibly. Sometimes, though, he speaks in the quiet whispers of our own heart and minds. He just whispers thoughts to us, and we realize, I feel like that's God. I feel like God might be saying something to me. So that sometimes when people stand up front in a church and they say, God spoke to me, other people who are perhaps newer in God, they're like, oh, God spoke to them, but he doesn't speak to me. I think God probably does speak to you. I think God probably speaks to every single one of you in ways that you maybe haven't learned to tune into yet, but he does speak to you. He speaks to you in your heart, in your mind. Sometimes he will speak to us in his word. I can't tell you how many times I've opened the Bible to read. Just do my daily Bible reading, and all of a sudden, it's like the words on the page become flaming fires before my eyes. It's like, I don't even know exactly what God is saying, but there's something here. I feel something in my spirit. God speaks to us sometimes through his word. Now, I do think we want to be careful. I think we want to be careful about just kind of picking out any verse out of context because it meets our wants, our needs. You know how you flip the Bible open and you point to the verse. Well, that's great, but when you point to the verse and it says Judas went and hung himself, that might not be your answer. And so you flip the Bible and you point again, and the Scripture says go and do likewise. That might not be your answer. But God can speak to us through his word. And sometimes God speaks to us through circumstances through just stuff that's going on in our lives. He, he actually has something he wants to say to us. In fact, if you have the ability, sometimes you can actually hear God through people. People around you. I can't tell you how many times I have just been talking to somebody and I felt like something they said really was God's word to me. The New Testament puts it this way. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit's saying to the churches. Are you willing to stop long enough that you can actually hear God? Um, God will often speak to you, but this is the scary part that actually we see also in the book of Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, depends upon how you want to pronounce it. Sometimes God will speak, but here's the scary part. Sometimes he won't. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with the silence of God? That sometimes He will make us wait. He's just not going to say something right now. And we want to keep filling the silence. It's kind of like have you ever met somebody that doesn't know how to end a conversation? So you just keep talking to fill the gap because it's getting awkward and you keep going. And it's like, okay, you've already said everything you wanted to say. Now you're just repeating yourself and again and again and again. We do that with God, we just keep talking. But sometimes the reason why we're not hearing anything is because God's not saying anything. Are we okay with that? And here's the really especially hard part. What do you do when you bring your complaint to God and you speak to God, you stop, you wait, you watch, you listen, and God speaks to you, but then this happens. You don't like what he has to say. This is the frustration gap. When God speaks, okay, but God, what are you going to do about all this evil in the land? He says, I'm going to raise up a people who are even more evil than my people, who I'm going to bring discipline to, and I'm going to use them to discipline my people. And Habakkuk is like, God, I don't like that. That doesn't make sense to me. Why would you do it that way? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul had some issue. We don't know what it is. He calls it his thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it is. Can you just be honest enough to admit you don't know what it is? No one knows what it is. I know everybody under the sun thinks they do, but they don't because the Bible doesn't tell us. But it does say this. Paul asked God to take it away. Whatever it was, it was bad enough. Paul, the apostle of God, the man who wrote like half of the New Testament, This is like a significant player in the kingdom of God. He asks God to take it away. Nothing. He asks him again. Nothing. He asks him a third time. And finally God speaks. Do you know what God says? He says, no. No, I'm not going to take it away. But I will give you grace sufficient to deal with it. Sometimes we just struggle with the answers that God gives us. So, when you're in the gap, one of the things you should do is stop, watch, and listen. The second thing you should do, so that was number one. Number two, the second thing you should do is you should write. Write. You write down what God says to you and what God shows you. Habakkuk went to God with his struggles and how he felt, and then he waited for God to speak, and when God spoke, what did God say? Look at it. It's in verse two. He says, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. Why does God want us to write it down? Especially for some of us, like, that's just not our thing. I'm not into journaling. I don't like that kind of thing. That's just not me. I understand. I really do. It's like, that would be me. But why does God tell us to write down what we hear and see from him? Well, he tells us right in this verse. Number one, he says, it's to vindicate That what he has said, he has said because there's going to come a day when what he has said will happen. And he wants everybody to know, I said it way back there. I am a God who keeps my word. I do what I say I will do. So it's number one, to vindicate God. But the other thing that happens when you write it down and you begin to share it, even, you actually have a testimony. God has spoken something to you. And when it comes to pass, People can see what you have written down and how God did it. You wrote it down 15 years ago, and now it has finally come to pass, and you show people, and it becomes for them an encouragement, an incitement. He says that he who runs with it can read it. They need to be able to see it. But the third reason why I think we ought to write it down is it's for our benefit. Because if you're like me at all, you forget things. You forget. You forget. Karen will send me to uh, the store to get three things. Um, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. Probably not. Uh, It's probably just me. Um, But she will send me to the store, and she will give me a list of three things. And she says, do you want me to write them down? What am I, stupid? She doesn't answer that, by the way. And I said, I can remember three things. And so I get to the store, and I pick up two of them. And for the life of me, on the way to the store, something happens. I don't know what it is. I'm pretty sure it's Satan himself. I think he messes with my mind. I'm pretty sure. Um, at least that's my claim. Flip and I are together in this. The devil made me do it. Um, but I get to the store. I get two of them, and I can't remember the third. And I do what any wise husband will do these days now that we have modern smartphones. I text Karen, and I say, I got this, and I got this, but for the life of me, I can't remember the third thing. And I'm waiting, and I'm waiting for her to answer, and then I get back a crying face and a sigh. And then she writes and says, I never told you to get those two things either. (laughs) And I'm like, what? You did too. She goes, no, I said these two things. I go, oh yeah. We forget. We all do. So we write things down because we forget. I can't tell you how many times this happens to me. I lay in bed at night thinking about what I'm going to be preaching on. And it, 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 often it's that I haven't even put the sermon together yet. I've just thought through what I feel like God wants us to speak, just like you saw with the announcements, where we're going in October, where we're going in November, where we're going to go in December. I, we think about that, and we have these like themes. And I lay in bed at night, and there are nights, this is no joke, there are nights when I feel like God downloads the whole sermon to me. Every single point, and even the words I should use, and the examples I should use, and I lay in bed, and I'm like, this is just, wow, this is so cool, God. But I'm in bed. I don't want to get up and write something down. I'm thinking, this is so powerful, I'll remember it in the morning without a problem. I wake up the next morning, and I can't even remember having thought about it. I say to you, I can't tell you how often this has happened because I never bothered to write down how often I failed at this. But here's the other thing that happens. When I do write stuff down and I go back and I look at what I have written, I can't tell you how many times I have been amazed at what God said that I didn't remember. I remembered part of it, but I didn't remember all of it. So writing it down helps us to remember. Uh, When God says something to you, You want to record it. You want to document it. Just like a lawyer wants to document every detail. We want to document it because this is what God has said. God may show you something, but given time, if we're not careful, the scripture says in Matthew 13 that the birds of the air come and they steal the seed. They steal it. He's he's a master thief. And he wants to steal the things that God says to you. But when you write it down, something happens. The other thing that happens for me sometimes is if I don't write something down and even if I happen to remember it, I can sometimes, after a while, convince myself it wasn't God at all. It was the pizza that night or something like that. But when I write it down, it almost lends to a sense of more um, officialness to it. I remember when God said this and I took the time to write it down. Now, I'm not good at this. I told you this. I'm not a good journaler. I've never been that. Just never have. I've never understood the value of it until probably recently. Uh, Someone gave me this um, neat little journal. It's a leather-covered journal. But in it, I have taken time to write out some very specific, significant things that God has spoken to me. And even just recently, I went back to look at these And I was amazed at what I had forgotten that God had said. God tells the prophet, not only should you stop and watch and listen for God, you should write it down. And some of what I write down, by the way, is not just words, because sometimes God speaks in words, but sometimes God speaks in impressions, or he speaks feelings even, or sometimes he speaks pictures, and I will see something. That's happened to me a number of times where I think that's part of the reason why God says you should stop and watch to see what God will say. Why are you watching? You should listen to hear what God says. But he says, no, watch. Because sometimes when God speaks, it's so powerful that it becomes a picture itself. I think that's also why John the Apostle on the Isle of Patmos heard something behind him, and it says in the Scripture, he turned to see the voice. Because sometimes when God speaks, it's so powerful it becomes a reality right in front of you so you write it down Um, a a simple example is this Um, I uh, years ago I'm talking about like 1993 or so um, we had uh, I don't know how many of you were even here back then but the parking lot used to be gravel It was all gravel. Everything was gravel, not just over there where they park in the auxiliary area, but the whole thing was all gravel. And it was not a problem. We never gave it a thought one way or the other. It was only a problem in the spring when it would get muddy and no one liked it and all that kind of stuff. But we didn't think a thing about it. It was just the way it was. But a young man in our church by the name of John Legere, some of you might remember John. John felt like he had a vision from God. But this vision from God, and he was at the time, I believe, a deacon in the church, but he had this vision from God, but the vision from God was so much bigger than what we could even envision ourselves that he thought, what's the use of it? I'm not going to do it. But instead, here's what he did. He painted a picture of our parking lot, and it's this picture right here. This is a paved parking lot. We didn't have a paved parking lot. We had a gravel parking lot. We didn't have a whole lot going on. But this is what he painted. He gave me the picture, and at the time, I thought, huh, great, okay, thanks, and I threw it in my closet. Never gave it a thought. Fast forward over 10 years, and I can't remember what the situation was, but I remember this. I remember beginning to feel in my heart that for whatever reason, God wanted us to pave our parking lot. Now, to pave our parking lot was going to cost us like, $18,000, $20,000. $18,000, 20000 It was a lot of money. And I can remember presenting it to the board, and not one member of the board was in agreement. So I said, okay, no problem. We'll just forget it then. must be it was just me and pizza. A month goes by. We have another board meeting, and we're doing our regular board business that we have to do. And then uh, at that point, it was actually Sharon spoke up and said, can we go back to what you brought up last month? And it's like, I don't even remember it. I didn't write it down. But okay, what? (laughs) She says, you know about the parking lot? I said, oh yeah. She goes, I've been praying and I feel like maybe this might be the Lord. But it was, months went by. It was like, I think it was right around six months. At the end of that time, every member of the board felt we ought to do it. We did it. God provided that, for which we're grateful in terms of the funds that we needed to do it. And we did it. But I keep this now hanging on the wall in my office. And I do it not just because it's a picture that somebody made. It's a reminder to me that God spoke this into being long before it happened. That God can speak to somebody, something that we can't even think of. It's too big for us. $20,000? Where are you going to get $20,000 to pave a parking lot when we have a perfectly good gravel parking lot? But God spoke it long before we did it. And when I felt like God was speaking, it wasn't because I looked at this picture. This picture was sitting in a closet or somewhere. I don't even know where it was, but I can remember one day pulling it out after we had done the parking lot and thinking, wow, this was a prophetic picture. We didn't realize at the time. We thought it was just pie in the sky, but it was prophetic. Write it down, what God is saying to you. And if, if you think about it, this kind of thing happens all through. He says that we are to write it down because we forget. In fact, that's why we often tell people who are getting a prophetic word to write it down. Because in the emotion of the moment, sometimes we're so um, unbelievably amazed that God is speaking to us, and it feels so much for us that we're not even really hearing it all. We're actually reacting inside. But if you write it, down you can go back and the other thing that you can do if you write down a prophetic word is you can find out what God exactly said not just kind of what I thought he said but exactly what he said because sometimes exactly what he said isn't quite what I interpreted it as I'm hearing it through my own filters so first thing that we learn from Habakkuk when we're in the gap is we need to stop watch and listen the second thing is we need to write it down the third thing that you are to do when you're in the gap is you're to wait wait Waiting feels kind of awkward, doesn't it? But that's what God told him. Wait. Just wait. None of us likes waiting, by the way. We're into instant everything. We want instant returns on our investments. We want instant gratification. We are like a microwavable culture, ready in an instant. But here's what God tells the prophet in Uh, Chapter 2, verse 3. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, listen to the words that he uses here, by the way. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. You're thinking, wait a minute, God. You just said, though it tarries, it will not tarry. Which is it? Well, interestingly, God in his infinite wisdom uses two different Hebrew words. The first word that he uses is ma'a, ma'a, And it literally means, though it lingers long, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not akar, which means it will not be hindered. It will not procrastinate. In other words, God says, when it's time, it's going to happen. You can't speed it up. You can't slow it down. It's going to happen. Wait for it. What I want you to catch here is that God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. Because it seems like it's a long time in coming doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Some of you are waiting for something because you believe God has given you a word. And God's word to you is wait, wait for it. His promise is true. And you see this all throughout the scripture. I mean, think about the biblical characters in the Bible. God comes to Moses and said, I am going to use you to deliver my people out of Egypt and into the promised land. What happens next? Oh yeah, Moses has to run away and hide in the backside of the desert for how long was it? 40 years. Then God comes and meets with him with a burning bush, takes him out of the desert after 40 years, back to deliver his people as God had promised, and then God takes him on another tour in a different desert. For how long was that one? Oh yeah, 40 more years. 80 years before he ever even saw the promised land and then he saw it from the top of a mountain. 80 years of waiting. (coughs) Joseph, God says to Joseph, Joseph, man, do I have a dream for you. And what happens? His brothers beat the snot out of him, throw him into a pit, Sell him into slavery. He spends years in prison. And, it's, and I want you to hear this. It's 13 years before Joseph ever sees the light of day in Pharaoh's presence. But that's not the fulfillment of the dream. Remember what was the dream? These sheaves would bow down before me. That was the dream. So he's out of prison. He's second in command of Egypt but it's another nine years before his family comes down and bows before him. Twenty-two years of waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise. The Apostle Paul had a vision. He met with God on the road to Damascus. God says, why are you kicking against the pricks? And he says, Lord, who are you? God reveals himself to him, and then God says this to him. He says, You are going to be my vessel to the Gentiles, to kings, and to my people. You're going to be a preacher of my good news. And then what happens next? He ends up in Arabia, where there he is trained at the feet of Jesus, but it's 13 years before Paul ever preaches his first sermon. 13 years! Waiting, saying, God, you said this is what I was to do. 13 years of waiting. God speaks, but then he calls us to wait and to trust. Because, and I want you to get this, if you get nothing else out of this message, get this. God wants to work in us before he actually works through us. I've called it the frustration gap. But the truth is, a better word might be gestation gap. You know what the gestation period is? It is the time period between conception and birth. That's the gestation period. Where in the womb of that mother, life is growing. Something is happening. So this frustration gap is frustrating to us, but God's actually doing something in it. He's doing something in us. And every person I know who has walked with God deeply and richly and has come out the other side has gone through this gap. Every single person. Things that were confusing, things I didn't understand. But God is growing something in us because He wants to work in us before He works it through us. Now, here's what happens, uh, just briefly. When we think about waiting, we tend to think about um, Know, sucking our thumb someplace in some sort of semicomb, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, but that's not the word that God uses for weight. It's the word chaka. And it literally means this. If you write in your Bible, this would be a good definition to write down. It means to adhere to with piercing attention. Uh, how many of you guys have ever gone to a nicer restaurant? I mean, a nicer restaurant where they have an actual hostess or a host that has to... You have to come to the stand at the front. You have to wait for them to seat you. And then they seat you, and then somebody comes along, and they're going to serve you. What are they often called? Waiters or waitresses. Their job is to wait on you. Have you ever been in a restaurant where you wanted your drink to be refilled? And the waitress doesn't even look at you. She's so busy doing her own thing, you know, running around the restaurant, taking care of everybody... But you want to drink. She's not paying any attention to you. Doesn't give you a thought because she's busy. She's occupied. But the word that God uses here to Habakkuk is you're to, during this frustration period, you're to adhere to me with piercing attention. You're to give attention. You're to pay attention to what's going on. Waiting doesn't mean there's no movement at all. It means you continue to serve God for this time, keeping your eye attuned to him, lest in a moment he wants to say something or do something. You keep your focus on Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. What you do during this time of waiting is you keep your hand on the plow. You keep working for Jesus. You keep serving him, but you do it with all of your heart because you know you have no other place you can go. He alone has the words of eternal life. And as you wait on him, as you serve him, he says, at the appointed time. That's the word that he uses there, the appointed time. That word is moed, and it means in a fixed time, a specific time with a specific purpose. God is saying to the prophet, there is a time coming that I have established. I have written it down on my calendar. It's going to happen. It is a moed time. And it's a time ripe with possibility. Ripe with potential. And at that perfect time, it's all going to come together and begin to make sense. It's coming. Now, that word moed, by the way, has two kind of connotations to it in one word. The first is of a young woman who has been proposed to. She has accepted the proposal of the young man for marriage, but the marriage is far off in the future yet to happen. They're waiting for the day to come, but over time they do all kinds of preparation. That's part of the waiting. It's like I'm waiting for the wedding, but in the midst of the waiting I have things that need to happen, things that need to be done in order to prepare for that moe time. But that day does come. It's coming. It's in God's calendar. It's the Moed time. The second connotation of that word Moed is of a pregnant woman, it's a woman who has life inside of her. You know, when, when a woman first gets pregnant, it's like exciting. It's like, oh, I'm pregnant. I'm, I'm expecting a little one. This is so exciting. Everybody's excited. You put an announcement out on Facebook. You know, you have like three pair of shoes in your family. Now you add a fourth little baby pair, and you let everybody know how excited you are. And at first, it's all exciting. Well, eh, kind of. Waiting is not always all that exciting, but it can be exciting after you're done throwing up. So you throw up, and you get, I still got life inside of me. But the first time you realize your body begins to show something's happening, it's like you're so exciting. I mean, today, I mean, we just said, okay, they're pregnant. Today, they talk about this little baby bump. You know, that cute little thing where you look, oh, now you're a baby. you got a baby inside. And it's all exciting for the first little bit. But after five or six or seven or eight months having your body taken over by this alien isn't so fun anymore. You're tired. you hurt, hurt. Uh, nothing's going the way you thought it would. It's like, would you please get this thing out of me? But in the Moed time, it's going to come. You can't stop it. It's going to happen because God has declared it. That's what he means when he says, at the appointed time, when it's the Moed time. When it is Moed, there's nothing you do to speed it up, but you can't stop it because God has established it. Wait for it. Don't quit. Don't check it. In fact, do you know how long Habakkuk had to wait before he saw what God said would happen actually happen? Yeah, you know how long? 26 years. 26 years between when God told him and God did it. 26 years of waiting. It's possible that God will give you a promise that you won't even see in your lifetime. It's still God's promise, and he will bring it to pass because he's a faithful and true God. Some of you right now are in the waiting zone. You're in the gap, and you believe that what's going on isn't God's heart for you. You believe that what you're looking at is not right. You even believe that God has promised you something better, something more, but you're in the gap where you're waiting. I want to encourage you to hold this gap time as a moade from the Lord, where God has promised something is coming, but let him work something in you. Let me read the verse for you again, but I want to read it out of the Living Bible. I don't usually do that, but uh, this I like how it's unpacked. Why, why don't you just for a second close your eyes, and I, I'm going to believe that God will actually speak to you through this verse, especially if you find yourself in this waiting frustration gap. Let me read it to you. These things I plan, God says, won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, do not despair, for these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They will not be overdue a single day. Hear that. They will not be overdue a single day. You can open your eyes. So here's this God-loving prophet, Habakkuk, struggling with what's going on around him in the world, just like we are. But God tells him he, in fact, is going to deal with it. But he's going to do it in his own way and in his own time. And then God tells him, here's how you should handle this time of, you should stop, watch, And listen, you should write down what you hear me saying because it's going to happen. And when it happens, I want you to be reminded, I told you ahead of time. And then I want you to wait. But by wait, I don't just mean sit and twiddle your thumb. I mean wait actively. Wait involved in what God is currently doing. God's saying, my word is my bond. And then in chapter 2, verse 4, I'm ending with this verse. Behold, the proud... And here he's speaking about the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. The proud, his soul is not upright in him, but get this, and this is the key verse for the whole book. Every commentator would say, this verse is the verse for the whole book. But the just shall live by faith. The just will live by faith. That verse, by the way, is repeated three times in the New Testament. Three times in Romans 1-7, Galatians 3 and Hebrews 10-38. It's almost as if God took a New Testament principle and because of what he was asking of this prophet, he took this New Testament principle and he shared it with an Old Testament prophet. He says, the just will live by faith. Habakkuk needed to be reminded of what we need to be reminded of. When you met Jesus for the very first time, the reason why it was life-changing for you is because you actually believed him. You believed what he said. The good news that he was a God who loved you, who cared about you. A God who forgives your sins because he paid for it with his own life and blood. A God who has purpose for your life. All of that you heard and you received it in your heart. You trusted that it was true. That's called faith. And God comes and he reminds the prophet. It's not just what you do at the beginning. It's what you do throughout the whole walk. The just will live every day by faith. We watch with eyes of faith for God's heart, and we plant ourselves right there. It's like King Jehoshaphat. I don't know what to do, God, but I'm going to keep my eyes on you. The world says, just quit on your marriage. It shouldn't be this hard. I, I, I read not too long ago, somebody say, marriage shouldn't be that hard, and if it's that hard, you've probably married the wrong person. Find the right one. I think, where in the world have you been living Marriage is hard. It's always hard. It's two very different people thrust together for a lifetime. That's hard work. But the world says, just quit. Give up. Divorce. Your finances. It's like I thought it would be easier, but man, I hardly have enough money for groceries or gas to get to work. But we keep our eyes on God I say, God, you said you would provide. I'm going to work my hardest. I'm going to do everything that you put in my hand to do with all my heart is unto you. I'm not going to just sit back and do nothing. I am sitting back and waiting. I am giving intense attention to what you have put in my hand already. End with verse 20, the final verse of the chapter. Three little words I want you to get as we end today. When you're in the gap, What must you remember? So stop, watch, and listen. Write it down and wait. What must you do? Verse 20. Remember these three words. These are like three words that are like my kind of go-to words. I've narrowed it down to two, but it's the same. Verse 20 says this. But the Lord. But the Lord. Say that. But the Lord. Or my words, but God. But God. The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before Him. Yeah, we see the confusion, the anger, the strife that's going on around us, the injustice. We see it all. We see it in the bigger world, and we see it in our own lives. But the Lord. But the Lord. The Lord who saved you still sits in His holy temple. He's not lost control of anything. Nothing that has happened to you has caught God by surprise. He knew it ahead of time. And he says, you are going through the gap, the confusion zone, the waiting period. But if you allow me in that time period, I'm going to actually work life inside of you. This is the gestational period. The Lord is in his holy temple. God's still in control. So what do you do when you're in the gap? You watch and listen. You write it down. You wait with everything in you. You live every day by faith because you trust that God still lives in his holy temple. Would you stand with me? If you would, just uh, bow your heads for a second, close your eyes.